Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. taking notes let's go ahead and get into this I have a thought I have some stuff in my heart that I knew God was going to change well I didn't know it but I had a feeling because as I was in the week and, and preparing I have a whole I have a bunch of thoughts on another page and I literally had to open a new page and just start to write things that God was um, pouring into my life into my heart into my mind and I started to write down new things and I said okay I guess that'll be a message for later and I know eventually I'm gonna God has been speaking continuing to speak about inheritance and what that looks like and all that. So I'm going to continue to go deeper on that. But not today. Um, today, I, I, I guess a little bit of what Max was saying last week has stuck to me. But it took me to a whole other place. And I feel like God didn't want me to re- remove from that spot. So if you're taking notes, I, I really couldn't come up with anything catchy. I really couldn't anything too clever. But the, 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 the title of this message, if I were to title it anything, and I, and I, and I think that this is perfect for it, is this. The key... To becoming useful, and 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 I and you know I'm, I'm not here to tell you here are seven keys to be useful, and I'm not going to tell you I'm going to write a book about the <laughs> eight keys of how to. I'm just telling you there is maybe there is. I'm not saying that there is one, but I'm just saying I don't know. At the end, just tell me what you think about that. Maybe there's just one key to become useful again, and and hopefully you understand that. So I'm not going to give you keys to becoming useful. I'm just going to give you the key to being useful again. You know, Pastor Max brought a word last week, and, and, it's, and it's still being poured over many of us. It, it really is still speaking to many of us, as I've spoken to many of you, met with some of you. Um, and for many, it's doing a work, and it's a work that I would, I would call refreshing. You've ever been in the presence of the Lord or under the teaching of the word, and it's just sat on you for days and days and days. And, and it does a work of refreshing. And last Sunday, I could say, like, like many other moments that we've encountered together, uh, I could say, at least for me, and, but, but I'll say really for us, um, it was a refreshment to us. Refreshment. I hope you understand what I mean by the word refreshment. If you've ever felt parched and just dry, that when you drink that water and it's just like, oh, my God. You f- like when you drink it, you don't even feel it here. It's like you feel it deep in your core. You've ever been so thirsty that you, that you feel it deep in your core when you take that drink of water? And, and for some of us spiritually, we've had moments with God like that where we've been so dry then when we take that water it doesn't just touch our lips man it's like it refreshes the core of our lives ever been there with the lord and um and and i feel we've had moments like that here at our nest and um it was a word that was spoken and but 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 also a presence that we entered into that didn't just minister to our mind um but i but i believe it poured to that core into our soul What, what the bible would say our heart but the heart is not the organ. The heart is the center part of the man, the, the core of man. And, and, and that's the word cardia in the Greek. But, but that's, that's, that's kind of what I feel God, God was doing in my life and in our lives. And, and I guess the best way I could describe this, if I could describe it as anything, is moments like these when we have them at church, when we have moments like these, I feel like, like it's baptism. I feel like baptism. You know, How many of you guys have been baptized more than once? Well, praise God for you. Praise God. I'll, I'll get baptized any chance I get. <laughs> any chance I get, I'll get baptized. And, and I feel like last week was another moment of baptism for me. I didn't get into a tank. I didn't get into a lake. I didn't get into a pool. I didn't get into the ocean. But I feel like it was a moment of baptism. It, um, like I, like a, a moments that we enter baptism. When we leave here and we just stare at each other and we're like, today was rare. Today was rare. Um, last week was rare. Um... But every, every, you know, the blessings of the Lord are new every morning kind of thing. And I've, I have had moments on my own um, just with the Lord where I could just say, wow, God, that was rare today, what you and I just went through. And, um, and hopefully for you as well, um, you could enter into these baptisms. A baptism, listen to this, a baptism that you never walk away from, but you remain under the influence of the waters that have immersed you. You know, we get water baptized and we have to come out of those waters. But I believe there's actually a baptism that God never wants you to come out of those waters. I mean, obviously the physical one, we can't kill you guys. I mean, we'll we'll get in a lot of trouble. 
Some of you might like that. Hope he leaves them down there a little bit longer. This one's driven me a little crazy throughout my life. And now he's with the Lord. Now he thinks everything's going to be okay. No, leave him down there, Pastor. No, that's not, you know. <laughs> but I believe that there's another kind of baptism that, that the Lord never wants us to walk away from. But, but just remain in those waters that have just, just overflowed and, and that are overflowing. I think about the words from John the Baptist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this scripture. It's Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is just some thoughts. Matthew 3, 11, when, when, when John says this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's one who is coming after me who is mightier than I am, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. And what does he say? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love that John the Baptist is like, there's someone that's coming, that's coming with a baptism that I can't even mess around with. Like, I, I baptize you, but there's come, there is a baptizer that's coming. And do you know that nowhere in Scripture do you ever see Jesus baptizing anyone? So why is he saying, hey, there's someone coming that's going to baptize you in ways that I can never baptize you. And Jesus, not one time in the Bible will you ever see him baptizing anyone. But all over the Bible, he's baptizing everyone. Because <laughs> it's not a physical baptism that Jesus came to do. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. When Zacchaeus is on the tree and everyone hates Zacchaeus, right? He's a tax collector and everyone hates him. Man, I feel family today. I love it. I love when I feel like this. And, um, and Zacchaeus is on a, on, a Chris, on a Christmas tree, on a tree. Could have been a Christmas tree, I don't know. Whatever. But he was on a tree. What goes on in my house? <laughs> Put kids on Christmas trees. But, but, but he's on a tree, and um, he knows that Jesus is going to walk down this path, and then everyone hates him, and, and he knows that everyone hates him. He's despised. And while Jesus is walking, he sees him. He says, Zacchaeus, come down today. I go to your house. But, but the beautiful thing about that is something happened with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus never entered into waters, but I could tell you that waters flowed into Zacchaeus. How do I know that waters flowed into Zacchaeus? Because instantly Zacchaeus said, hey, I'm going to repay everyone that I've taken. And not just repay them, but I'm going to repay them even more. I'm going to give them more from what I've taken. I'm going to give them four times more. And I said, yeah, he's underwaters. He's underwaters. He's under, he's under the influence of those waters. And I, know I see that all over scripture. I, th I think about the man who was cutting himself. And he was throwing himself in the fire. And he was hanging around dead tombs, the, the tombs and around, around the dead. And people would walk around there not even to see him because he was scary. He was demon possessed. And Jesus just walks up to him and says, shh. And he shuts the demons up. He casts the demons out. And instantly, when the same people that feared him now come back to those, the same places, the man is at Jesus' feet, dressed. He used to be naked, naked, cutting himself, wounded. Okay? And now he's dressed with the right mind, right clothing, and he's listening to Jesus. Can I just follow you wherever you go? I looked at him and I said, wow, what brought such drastic change? Never did he enter into waters, but I will tell you that waters entered into him. And he was just different. Jesus was constantly baptizing people in the New Testament, yet not once do we see that it's a physical water baptism. I want to enter into that, and I never want to immerse from the waters of his baptism. I want to live baptized. Hey, how many times are you getting baptized? No, no. I'm still in my baptism. <laughs> I'm still in them. That's a beautiful thing. Still in it. Moments like that. Moments like that are beautiful, beautiful visitations by the Holy Spirit. It's scary that some gatherings don't allow the move of the Holy Spirit. It's scary that, that some gatherings rather work their schedule than his schedule. But I loved when he said, you, the Lord told me this, and it was dead on, and you, stand up and raise your hands, the Lord told me this. And then he took us to a back room, and you guys, and I'm just like, what the heck is going on here? And God's like, I'm visiting. Just let me do what I got to do, I'm visiting. And I said, then keep visiting. <laughs> you know, that, that's special, I think, that we, that we, could, we could recognize that and um, welcome it. Welcome it. Not allow it, because who are we to allow God, but, but we could welcome it. And I think that's an honorable thing. And um, they're beautiful, beautiful visitations in which he moves and he fills those who are surrendered to him. It's a faithful and continual invitation to enter into deeper waters. Amen? For all of us here, here's some things I wrote down. For all of us here, it's going to get to a point where we understand and we learn to accept that the Lord wants to take us to waters where your feet no longer touch the ground. How many of you are touching the ground? Well, you need to stop touching the ground. 
where your feet no longer touch the, I know, it, you know why? Because God does everything different than the world. The world's like, get into waters where, you're at, where at least you could reach so you know you're safe. God says, no, get into waters where you know you can't reach so you know you're not safe and your safety and your protection and your comfort is found only in me. So that when you're drowning, I give you the breath that only could keep you alive in the drown. Because we find strength to do it on our own, but when we're drowning, he says, I blow into places where not even in your own strength you could blow into to give yourself life. How many of you are touching the ground today? How many of you know God's trying to swipe your feet and saying, let the waters overflow your head and stop trying to reach for breath? Because I got a breath under those waters that is greater than any breath outside of those waters. A current of such waters. No longer touching the ground and the current of these waters is what leads us. Where you no longer have control, where your control, come on, I'm talking to some control freaks in this room. I know I am. I've met with some of you. Some of you are control freaks, man. You can ask that person next to you, Do I, am I a control freak? Where your control is stripped from you, listen to this, and where his control over your life has preeminence. Where you no longer have control. So I wrote some thoughts. Here it is. It's in this water where I am weak and he is strong. I can't breathe in those waters, but he could breathe. In these waters is where I am vulnerable, and he becomes protector. In these waters is where I lack, but yet I find all that I really need. In these waters is where I am taken, and I find him to always be there present. It's where I decrease in these waters, but yet he increases. In these waters is where I die to find and encounter my resurrection. Having it together is not necessarily having my foot on the ground. For all you people that are like, I just have to have my foot on the ground. No, having it together may not be about having your foot on the ground. Having it together may just be about taking the current of his waters. And may, how many of you are learning this? I text this too. How many of you are learning this? That you are more in control of your life when you have given up control of your life. Hallelujah. I am more in control of my life as I'm learning to give up my life. Hallelujah. So Max kept coming up here and he kept saying stuff like this. That not enough, you feel that not enough. You're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. But not enough is enough for God. Not enough is enough for God. Not enough is enough for God. I'm like, my God, in this room, are there people that feel like they're not enough? And I said, yeah, because I feel like I at times feel like I'm not enough. And I don't have enough. And then the Lord reminds us and says, but not enough is enough for me. And the Lord has been speaking to my heart that, yeah, we may be here like we are today, and maybe you feel useless. And I don't know if any of you feel useless, but maybe to help you determine whether you feel useless, you say things like this, what's my purpose, what have I done, how can he use me now? I'm going to give you the definition of useless. The word useless means this, it means of no value, it means worthless, the word useless means where you cannot fulfill or even expect to achieve the attended purpose or desired outcome. Valueless, worthless, can't fulfill, can't even expect to achieve. It could also mean, right, that you feel like you have no purpose and there is no desire in, even inside of you. And you feel useless. You ever felt useless? I felt useless. I felt useless, and I can't. I wish I could tell you just once in my life. No, I've, I've, I have felt useless many times in my life. Ever felt useless? Ever felt worthless and with no value? Ever felt like you can't achieve? You felt like you can't find your purpose? You feel, you feel like you have no desire inside of you? I just lost, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but, but think about this for a moment. Have you ever said this to yourself? I just feel like I have no more desire in me to do blank. So I want to get into this thought as the Lord has laid it on my heart. And I believe for most people, and, and here's something for your heart and to write down. I believe that for most people, their feeling of uselessness is not a reality at all. If you feel useless here today, just like I have felt useless many times in my life, I believe that it may not be a reality at all in your life. That might be how you feel. 
But I've said this to many of you on many occasions in many moments. But just because you feel something, it doesn't mean that you are that something. You're not what you feel. Do you understand that? You are what he says you are, not how you feel. Trust me, there are times I feel ways that are, con- <laughs> that are opposite from what he says about me. But just because I feel like that at that moment doesn't mean that that's who I am. And I want to make sure you understand that. Because I feel that some of us think that way. And, and we believe that, that, that. That I feel useless. And it's not your reality. It's not that you are useless in your current circumstance of life. But instead, you think of yourself as useless. You're not useless. You might just be feeling useless because you think you're useless. And every difficult, every painful, every confusing circumstance in your life, with your right mind, you may see that they've been presented so that you could walk in them and be useful in them. Have you considered that whatever it is that's around you, surrounding you, whatever it is that's approaching you, whatever it is that is in front of you, that all circumstances and all these effects in your life, maybe they've been presented to you so that you could walk in them and be useful for the king. Useful for the kingdom. Many times we look at it and we say, what? Come on, because I'm not the only one. Why me? Why is this? Why... Again, how many of us have had that talk with the Lord? And he's telling us, be useful in it. <laughs> be useful in it. So in what? In death and in life, in sickness and in health. I'm not sitting vows, speaking vows to you, but yeah, in the vows of life. <laughs> be useful in all of these things. Difficult and joyful and painful in everything. There may, there may be use for them, but listen to this, and you should write this down. You'll never operate in faith to see it or in wisdom to accomplish it if you continue to carry yourself as useless. I'm going to say it again. There may be use for all of these things in your life, but you will never operate in faith to see it, or in wisdom to accomplish it if you continue to carry yourself as useless. I feel like I don't have faith. Right, because you think you're useless. I feel like I lack wisdom. You do because you feel like you're useless. When you start to see yourself in Christ as useful, you start to see yourself operate in a wisdom that he gives. And you start to see yourself operate in a faith that now you see things that are not there, um, but yet they're there to you in these spiritual eyes. And you start to operate in a whole other, we like to use the word, like, for example, like dimension and, and all that. And, and it is. We're from a different world, the Bible says. And, and what does that look like in your life to operate in faith to see it or in wisdom to accomplish it? But it's not going to happen if you continue to feel like you're useless. In Romans chapter 8, 11, uh, scripture says this as Paul writes this. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many times was he going to tell me that he dwells in me? You think he was trying to make a point to the listener? Yeah. Guys, come on. The spirit of the living God dwells inside of you. And you think that having such a presence living in you gives you the ability to say about yourself that you're useless? You are insulting the spirit of the living God living inside of you. I look at the mirror and say, I'm so useless. And God's like, ahem. <clears throat> Living inside of you dwells the presence of the Almighty. And yet you look at the mirror and say you're useless? Insulting the God that's inside of that temple. You walk before the Old Testament temple where the presence of God would sit on the holy of holy place, on the mercy seat of God. And you walk by that temple and you say, and you spit on it. You say, that temple is useless. See if that fire doesn't consume you. And yet you, the temple of God, looks at the mirror and says you're useless. Well, is the presence of God living inside of you? Because if he is, there is no way that you can say you're useless if he's living inside of you. I can't insult the temple anymore. <laughs> yeah, this temple is going to be turned back into, the, from dust that came, from dust that shall return. I get that stuff. Maggots and worms and all those things will eat it. But for, this is the temple of God. Man, what a verse, what a, what a passage to prove to me and to encourage me that I'm not useless. Come on, how many of you feel useless? 
And, and Paul here through scripture is reminding you, man, the same spirit that raised him dwells in you. He'll give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His spirit dwells in you. I love how Eugene Peterson describes it. Eugene Peterson says it this way. If um, It's a little long, so listen. Man, these guys are awesome. I bet you they're going to put it up there. Watch this. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, look what he says. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life, from that dead life, with his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ is alive, as his body is alive. So beautiful. So scripture is telling me what? I'm useful. I have purpose. I have reason. I am so useful. I am alive. Listen, I am not just alive. Man, have you thought about this? I'm not just alive in Christ. I'm alive as Christ. I'm not just alive in him. I'm alive as him. I'm alive as him. How dare you say that? Yeah, he's living inside of me. What does Paul mean then in Galatians 2.20 for for I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I who live, but for it is no longer I who live. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ Jesus my Lord. Like, what is he saying there? He's like, I'm dead, but yet I'm alive. And it's not just I'm alive in him, I'm alive as him. And, and, I, and I look at that and I'm like, man, that's such a beautiful reminder. I am useful. I am useful. And he's telling me I am useful. I'm experiencing God. Listen to this. Not just externally are you experiencing God, but you also should be experiencing God within you. How many of you, seriously, now I'm asking you this question. Eli's done a great job to tell me I'm confusing a lot of you guys on Sundays. But here it is, ready? I'm asking you, a, yeah, because sometimes I say, don't raise your hand. And then I say, raise your hand. And then you guys are like, bro, make up your mind. Eli had a whole rebuke session with me, and I, and I accepted his rebuke. I did. I said, brother, it's okay. I'm your brother. I'm your pastor. Don't get it wrong. I'm still your pastor, but I'm your brother. Like, I'll take the rebuke. I get it. I understand. So I'm not going to confuse you. How many of you, question, how many of you have felt like this? How many of you have done this? That we, you say, I've experienced God externally. I've been in a gathering. I've been in a service. I've experienced God. I've seen God move outwardly. Amen. And then, is there a difference though? Have you also experienced God internally within you? Man, only God. Man, that's cool stuff. Man, I don't know how, how I should go into this. Because that's called, ah, okay, I'll do it. That's called Intimacy. I encounter, nah, I'm going to be obedient. But maybe you could read between the lines. My beloved understands one part that you guys might not understand the other part in a sense. But yet in Christ, there's intimacy with each other. Where we get into what? Deeper things. And then the world outside says, you guys are rare with each other. Like, I know he's my brother. But he's not. You're not even related, but we are. It's weird, man. It's a God thing. It's something that God does in, in the brotherhood, in the sisterhood, in the family. And it's what we have with him. It's what we have with him. So how many of us have experienced it outwardly? How many of us have experienced it within us and even among us? Man, listen, things may be happening around me, but something is also happening inside of me, internally within me. I mean, isn't it obvious that God is doing something around us? Isn't it obvious that God is something in, doing something inside of me? That's such a beautiful thing. That the God that does things in China is the God that's doing something in me. Holy cow. The God that sits on his throne with legions of angels that are making the sounds of waterfalls roaring his name, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and he's receiving all the praise of all his spiritual beings and all the people that are there before his throne is the same God that is being made alive in me. It's unreal, man. 
It's unreal that the one who sits on the throne, his spirit also sits in this man. I have value. I want you to say that to yourself. I have worth. Say it gives me purpose. Don't don't get weak on me. Say I have value. I have worth. It gives me purpose. I have value. I have worth. It gives me purpose. Hallelujah. And ultimately that which has become alive in me This is a beautiful thing. Here's my message. Here's my message right here. That which has become alive in me. Here's the key. Not the key, is the key. That which has become alive in me has also given me his desires. That which has become alive in me also gives me his desires. So he kicks out my desires out the house. He kicks out your desires. He kicks out your desires. And then his desires move into your house. And as his desires begin to move into your house, they begin to take residence and they take form. So the whole house gets rearranged. You used to like the sofa in that place, but he changed the TV to the other wall and he remodeled the whole entire house. And you're like, man, but that's not the way I was thinking about modeling the house. And he's like, right, I took the desires out of your house and I'm putting my desires now to take residence here. And when my desires come in and take residence here, everything inside of that house that you modeled and that you put in place, I'm going to rearrange it and change it. And I'm having a garage sale. Some of those things we're going to get rid of. I have value, I have worth, and it gives me purpose. And what happens here is that which is becoming alive in me now gives me his desires. And you're probably sitting there like, but the Lord gives me the desires of my heart. And you're probably misinterpreting that scripture. The Lord doesn't give you the desires of your heart. The Lord doesn't give you the desires of your heart. The Lord doesn't give you the desires of your heart. That would be dangerous for you if the Lord gave you the desires of your heart. The Lord gives you the desires of your heart. The Lord doesn't give you the desires of your heart. The Lord gives you the desires of your heart. He kicks out your desires and he gives you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4, you should write that. Psalm 37.4. Do you guys know that verse? It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible outside of John 3.16, but it's one of the most famous verses. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You've quoted that verse probably at some point in your life because you've been praying for someone in your life, and you're like, Lord, you know the desires of my heart. So you quoted that in your prayer. Or you have a, a, a personal issue in your life or you have a personal prayer in your life or you have a whatever and you're like, Lord, you know the desires of my heart. We've all probably prayed this at one point. We know this verse. We pray a lot. I heard a preacher say, I heard a preacher say this not that long ago. We all say and we all know the verse that he shall give us the desires of our heart. But very few people quote the first part of the verse, which is delight yourself also in the Lord and, <laughs> and he shall give you the desires of your heart. We love to say he'll give you the desires of your heart, but we forget to say delight yourself also in the Lord. I love that. It stuck to me. It really did stick to me. Because many times we misinterpret the scripture and we think that the Lord owes us the desires of our heart. Seriously, do you think that the Lord owes you the desires of your heart? You might say things like this. He doesn't give me what I desire. He, God knows my heart. I've been praying for this for so long. And listen to this. Because of misinterpretation of the scripture, so many people begin to grow weary. Hearts, get to get, hearts become hardened and people begin to grow bitter. And bitter now begins to cause them to become critical. You become critical with everyone and everything. And this repetition eventually leads you to feel useless. And here it is, guys. Maybe your uselessness comes from this place. 
Maybe your uselessness comes from this place. Maybe it's from a hurt. Maybe it's from a past experience. Yes, I understand all that. But maybe it's from this place right here. Maybe it's from this place. The answer to this question, why hasn't he given me the desires of my heart? What's going on here? Why hasn't he given me the desires of my heart? Well, the answer to that question, it depends on how you interpret that scripture. How come he hasn't given me the desires of my heart? Well, it depends. What do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> because some of the desires in your heart are not his desires for your heart. Did you hear that? You should write that. Some of, his, some of the desires in your heart are not his desires for your heart. I, I know that. Listen, you know why I could preach this? Because I know what it is to have desires in my heart that are not his desires for my heart. I'm not like preaching to a crowd and making y'all think like, I don't, I don't go through that. You guys must be really bad. <laughs> no, I know what it is to live with desires in my heart that he just like, those are not my desires for your heart. So like he, he does a gut check, right? He's like, you're praying for the wrong things. <laughs> you're doing the wrong things. You're asking for the wrong things. And like, what do I do, God? He's like, go to, go to the first part of the verse. What? Delight yourself also in the Lord. We'll get into that in a moment. So the answer is this, getting to the place of where you delight yourself in the Lord. So what's, what's, what does that look like? Where you delight yourself in the Lord, where that becomes the most important thing, where it's not forced, but it's natural, where your happiness, where your joy, where all your delight comes from where you are in the Lord. And when that becomes home to you, you then will see that the desires that you had in your heart are not even desired anymore by you. When you begin to delight in the Lord, you start to recognize, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to see it that way. Oh, my God, I can't believe I used to pray like that. Oh, my God, I can't believe I lived with this for so long. And when you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, you'll start seeing that the way you pray begins to change. The way you live begins to change. The way you do life with others begins to change. Because you'll recognize that the whole time you were carrying something, that the whole time it was never him that put that in your life to carry. So when you begin to delight in the Lord, you might not even desire the things that you feel like you desire so much right now. The worst thing that he could have done is to give you those desires. But now, as he removes all desires that are in your heart, he now begins to give you the desires of your heart. I believe that the Lord first needs to remove every single desire of my heart to then begin to give me the desires of my heart. Listen, when I wasn't in Christ, you should have seen the desires of my heart. Very shameful to tell you about those desires of my heart. I woke up and those um, desires on a boy that was full of testosterone, <laughs> hormones, <laughs> I mean, those desires of my heart. But, but let me tell you, when Christ came into my life, the desires of my heart changed. Doesn't mean I wasn't weak anymore. I mean, doesn't mean that I struggled with weaknesses. It doesn't mean that I had things in my life that I still had to fight and struggle. And, but the desires of my heart changed. And it's a constant journey that I'm going through this. Thing. And I'm sure if you're in Christ, it's a constant journey of maturity that you're going through in your life, man. I'm telling you, man, it's, 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 this is something that is so real to all of us here. It's so real to all of us. The desires of your heart. He removes all of it and he begins to give you the desires of his heart. So now what's beautiful about this is that you operate, listen, and you begin to live, you operate, you live for the desires that he's placed in your heart and you're delighting now in the Lord in all things. You're delighting in the Lord in all things and you're living for the desires he's placed in your heart. Listen, there is no way that one who arrives to this place will continue to look at themselves or feel about themselves as useless. There is no way that someone who is truly living, delighting themselves in the Lord also says, I feel so useless. The heck, are you delighting yourself in the Lord or not? The place where you find delight in the Lord will cause the place of uselessness to no longer exist. How many of you want to erase uselessness from your vocabulary and uselessness from your life? Awesome. Enter into delighting yourself in the Lord. So I say again what I said earlier. Scripture is telling me that I am useful. I am alive in Christ. I am experiencing God, not just externally, but within me internally. There may, things may be happening around me, but something is also happening internally inside of me, within me. 
I have value. I have worth. That gives me purpose. Come on. I have value. I have worth. That gives me purpose. And ultimately, that which now becomes alive in me also gives me his desires. It's kicked out my desires outside of the house, and his desires begin to move in, take residence, and begins to transform the whole household. And what do I do as he begins to transform the whole household? I begin to continue to deepen the delight myself in the Lord. I wrote this to the leaders this week. I want to share it with the church. I said, I feel for all of us that it's no longer the overcoming, I talked about overcoming a little bit, of repetitive habitual sin. Because, you know, we're like, I'm, I'm, I got to overcome, I got to overcome. Well, when are you going to overcome the repetitive habitual sin? But I feel like it's no longer the overcoming of repetitive habitual sin, but the overcoming of uselessness that enters, finally enters into a lifestyle of useful to our Father. I said this, I want to encourage you to find yourself in his arms where he wipes away your feelings of uselessness and begins to make you useful. Are you useful with your family? Are you useful with your friends? Are you useful with your coworkers? Are you useful with strangers, etc.? Our feelings of uselessness should not come from where God may not be using you in ministry, but Lord, my life is a ministry, so make it useful for you and for your kingdom. How many of you feel like God's not using you in ministry? Then your life is not a ministry. God's always using you in ministry. Your life is a ministry. Amen? Instruments. And then I wrote, bless you all, useful, useful instruments of the Lord. So here it is. I'm learning what arriving at the healthiest place in my life looks like. The healthiest place in my life. I'm just talking personally now. I'm not talking to you guys. Maybe it relates to you, but here's me. I'm learning what arriving at the healthiest place in my life looks like. Here it is. The healthiest place for my ministry, the healthiest place for my marriage, the healthiest place for my family, the healthiest place for my relationships, the healthiest place for my mind is arriving to the location where I am delighting myself in the Lord. Because the desires that get me anxious, the desires that cause me to feel negative towards my marriage, I'll pause on that one. The desires that cause me to feel negative towards my ministry, etc. You go down the list. They're then replaced with the desires that he has given me in my heart. Why? Because I'm finding what delighting myself in the Lord looks like. So your wife could lay down in the bed next to you and look at you in the eye and says, you're different. Yeah, because I'm delighting myself in the Lord. Someone comes up to says, you're preaching differently lately. I don't know, I'm just delighting myself in the Lord. All aspects of your life. Come on. Your uselessness may be nothing else. Here's the key. Maybe nothing else. But you, having not arrived yet, at delighting yourself in the Lord. You are useful when you're finding delight in him. Because then you serve and do life with a different heart and a different attitude. In this place, in this nest, let me say that slowly again. You're useful when you're finding delight in him. You begin to serve and you begin to do life differently with a different heart and a different attitude, even in this place amongst these people. Why? Because you automatically, without anyone inviting you to do it, you automatically begin to be, you become useful to others instead of bitter towards others. I become useful to others. Without you ever inviting me in, I'm just going to become useful to you. You become useful to the ministry. You become useful in the void or to the void. Whether someone calls your name or not, your life becomes a useful instrument, a useful vessel of honor in this great house. And then you'll get to a place where you recognize that all of this is a bonus. And then you'll consider this. How am I useful to my friends, to my family, to my coworkers, to my very own neighbors? It will never be whether you are being used or not, but your life will be a ministry that is actually useful and impacting his kingdom. Amen? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Go, go there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I feel like there's something here that was important when I read it. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2. When you're there, give me an amen. Go put your eyes on, for right now, put your eyes on verse 20. 2 Timothy 2.20. 
we preached this about two months ago here. If I'm not, it was here, right? <clears throat> How many of you uh, have felt useless? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. It's good. The rest of them are lying, probably. For those that, for those that, are, that, that were brave, you're good. You got probably maybe like an extra little jewel in the crown when you get to heaven. Maybe just one next. <laughs> right, here we go. Let's, let's go to, chap, let's go to uh, chapter 2, verse 20. It says this. Uh, I'll read um, from the NLT. It says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. The cheap ones are used for everyday use. I love the special occasions. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use, for special use, honorable use. And your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. You'll be useful for every good work that is special to our master, for honorable, special use. Amen? Praise God for those two verses. But let's go to 15. I went, I'm going back to the future here. I'm going forward to go backwards. Let's go to verse 15 now because that stuff sounds good. Like verse 20 and 21, heck yeah, I'm an instrument of honor, useful for the master. I'm not made out of wood. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good instrument. But, but let's go to verse 15. Here it is. Verse 15 says this, work hard so that you can present yourself to God. And receive his approval. You know what? I'm just going to read 15 through 18. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Divides the word of truth. Avoid worthless foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer as in the case of, and Paul is name dropping. You can't judge me. Well, Paul just did. And Paul called them out by name. Paul didn't just call these guys out. One time he called Peter by name. I'm going to talk to Peter face to face when I see him in Jerusalem. I'm not writing to you anything that I'm not going to do. When until I see Peter, I'm going to tell him what he did was wrong. I mean, Paul was, Paul was serious, man. So, so, so here it is. I, I wish sometimes I could have that boldness to talk to some of you about some people. And, but I'm, God, I don't know. I feel like I haven't had the liberty to talk about certain people because he's like, don't do it. <laughs> Paul could do it. Not you. Not yet. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. And look what he does. I don't even know how to say these guys' names. Sorry for not looking them up properly. In the case of, let's try it out, Hymenius and um, Philetus. Think I did good? All right, that's good. Hymenius and Philetus, um, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In that way, they have turned some people away uh, from the faith. Love that. What, what is, I almost feel like Paul is saying, yeah, those guys, stop listening to them. They're useless. Like, Paul, yeah, there, I'm going to write it on paper. And they're going to talk about it 2,000 years later. They're going to still talk about Philetus and Hymenius. They're, gonna t they're useless. Their teachings are useless. What they <laughs> so don't follow them. They're turning people away, and they're going to turn you away. They're useless. I love that, Paul. But the beginning of this, verse 15, let's jump to that. It says this, work hard so you can present yourself. New King James Version says it this way. It says, be diligent. Be diligent. Um, the ESV is very similar to the NLT in this translation when it says, do your best to present. Work hard to present. New King James, be diligent to present. We get the point. All three, they're not really going opposite from one another. They're all making the same point. Be diligent. Work hard. Do your best to present yourself approved to God. Everyone say approved. Yeah. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. The other translation, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Well, I did something. I said, what does the word approved mean in the Greek then? If I'm going to present myself to God approved, I better know what approved means. <laughs> so in the Greek, the word approved, dokeo, it means this. It's used actually as a verb. And I'm tutoring this little kid like, couple times a week, and I'm teaching them verbs. I'm like, I didn't even know what verbs were until I started teaching this middle school kid. He's a high school kid. <laughs> I forgot what verbs were. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I forgot, you know, I'm talking about like the more extensive verbs. Because then there's all, you know, there's verbs, and then there's verbs that are related to verbs. I'm like, whoa. I didn't know it was that long. Like, what are, just cut them all verbs and just get it over with. But they're not. There's linking verbs or these kind of verbs. There's, and, then, and then there's adverbs that connect two verbs, and then it, it gives you a predicate adjective. I know what I'm talking about. 
It points to a predicate noun. <clears throat> Shoot. But, but the word approved here in the Greek, it's used as a verb, and it means this. Look how cool this is. Ready? The scripture says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. And the word approved here means to think, to be an opinion of, or to suppose. So a lot of my coming before the Lord and to show myself approved, a lot of that deals with my, my thinking and, and my, what I suppose within me as I present myself before him. So, so if I'm going to show up before him, do I show up before him and say, well, I'm just a useless individual? Or do I look at the other scripture like verse 20 and 21, that when I present myself, before him I recognize and I say standing before you is one of your useful instruments it's how I think of myself and it's what I suppose of myself and he writes here be diligent to do this be diligent work hard do your best to what show yourself to the Lord and show myself how think yourself approved suppose yourself approved standing before you is one that is covered in your blood Standing before you is one that wears your ring and wears your robe. Who you put sandals on. I don't know. However you want to vocabulize that. Like, like, like it's, it, this word approved, it, it deals with, 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 with more action and, and the workings within me. And be a good worker. And in the Greek, it's one who toils. It's one who labors. So the Lord is giving me a responsibility as I'm also approaching him. As I'm also presenting myself before him. There is a responsibility within me as I present myself before him. There's a responsibility within me as I present myself before him. There's a responsibility within you before you, or as you present yourself before him. Amen? So here it is. Presenting ourselves approved before the Lord deals with how we think. And how we suppose in our lives. Were you supposed to be true? Were you supposed to not be true? So when we, present our, when we present ourselves to him, listen to this. We come delighting, yes, or we come complaining. At least you're coming. I'm not knocking you. I'm telling you that if you're the complainer, you keep coming complaining. Trust me, he'd rather hear your complaint than hear nothing from you. But still, you have to finally come to a place. Am I the complainer or am I the delighter in? Am I complaining? Am I complaining in him or am I delighting in him? I'm saying this because I've lived complaining in him. I've also lived delighting in him. Nonetheless, wherever you're at on that spectrum, you come anyways. We come with faith or we come with a critical mind. Come on, as you present yourself to the Lord, I'm going to ask you this question, where are your thoughts? Where is your mind at? Could you, feeling useless, be due to the way that you're thinking? The way that you're thinking, could it be due to whether you're delighting in him or not? So maybe the effect of your thinking could be because of the place where you're not at. Or the place where you are at? Could the frustrations of your desires not being met, listen, be due to the reason that you have not arrived in delighting yourself in the Lord? So thus the reason that he has not given you the desires of your heart as of yet. How can I give you those desires when you have not really fully understood what desiring me even means? Am I the only one that desires for things that at times I've desired more for the Lord? Or can anyone here say, I know exactly what you're talking about? I've desired for things more than I've desired for God. I have. Again, more than once I've desired for things more than I have desired God. How can I give you the things that you desire when you haven't even come close to desiring me? Think about what that means. And yet in some things, he still shows himself to be a good, good father. So as I said in the beginning of the message, I believe that for most people, their feeling of uselessness is not a reality at all. It's not that they're useless in the current circumstances of life, but instead that they think themselves as useless. 
every difficult, every painful, every confusing circumstance in your life. With your right mind, you may see that they've been presented so that you can walk in and be useful in them. There may be use for them, but you'll never operate in faith to see them or in wisdom to accomplish it if you continue to carry yourself as useless. Come on, begin to delight in the Lord, and there you will find use, and there you will become useful. Does that make sense to anyone? Hopefully it makes sense to everyone. If it does not make sense, um, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> it made sense to me when I wrote it down. I almost said, let's schedule a meeting, but no, I don't want to do that. It just makes sense to me. It makes sense to me when I wrote it all. Let's see, what do I do? I wanted to end this real quick, but let's just read one more scripture. Let's go to Matthew. Maybe I'll read two more scriptures or just one more. Let's go to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 10. I gave it to you with a question mark to put up just in case. In Matthew 10, let's go to verse 29. Let's see what this stuff says. I'll read again. I have the NLT with me. I'll read from the NLT. Check this out. Matthew 10, 29. You were there? Give me an amen. Eli, I'm doing a little bit better with the whole raising hand things. All right, thank you. Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. Here we go. Verse 29. Were there? It says, do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Oh, I didn't want to read 28. That's a good scripture. Let's just read. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone says? All right, verse 29. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Look at verse 30, guys. The very heads on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more, oh, man, you're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What is it that I said earlier? I'll find it. Hallelujah. I have value. I have worth. It gives me purpose. I have value. I have worth. And it gives me purpose. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. That's beautiful scripture. I'll just let that talk for itself. Let's go to Matthew, I think it's 6, yeah, Matthew 6, 24. You know this passage. Matthew 6, 24. You there? A couple pages. It says, no one can serve two masters, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you hate one, you love the other. You will be devoted to one, you despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you, here it is, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Is in life more than food and your body more than clothing? Again, guys, let's look at the sky. Let's look at creation. So look at the birds. I love that we're the nest. God keeps saying to look at the birds. See, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look what he tells you about these birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store foods in barns. But your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than those birds are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work, they don't make their clothing, but yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they were or as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and they're thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? When are you going to give me this prayer petition, Lord? I added that one. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Come on. What are you asking for? What has a question mark at the end of your statement that is dominating, dominating your mind? These things dominate the thoughts. What is dominating your thoughts? But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Of course he does. And he's, you know what he does? You know what he wants to do? He, he desires to give you all those things in your heart. He knows already what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. I almost feel like, I almost feel like what is being said here is, is he's almost saying the same thing as uh, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Tell me if it sounds the same. Tell me if it sounds the same. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Delight yourself in the Lord. It sounds the same. 
and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It sounds the same to me. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow brings its own worries. Today is, today's trouble is enough for today. Love that. What am I trying to say? There's a key to becoming useful. Again, for some of you that feel like you've lost it. And the key to becoming useful is as simple as what Matthew would say is to seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all things shall be added to you. And it's what the psalmist says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So maybe the answer to becoming useful is the place in where you're seeking or not seeking, the place where you're delighting or you're not delighting. Where are you today? Amen? I have nothing else to say. But yet a lot of other things to say. But, but, but I'll keep it there. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, I, want, I want you to stand with me. Maybe we'll get maybe some music playing or something. Just stand with me for a moment as I come up here. Just, and I want you just to meditate real quick on your heart. Meditate there in your life. Meditate, meditate there and, and, and think about your thoughts. Think about your mind here for a moment. And I want you to figure these things out for here for a second. How many of you, you guys come up here. How many of you, um, how many of you recognize this in your life? Seriously, like, how many uh, for you is this stuff more real than it is just a, I didn't come just like to preach a sermon to you today. Like I like, I feel like my heart is, is drifting away from that lately. Like, my heart hasn't been like, Lord, just give me a sermon for something. Like, I don't want to just speak words and then, like, oh, that was good. Like, what do you mean? Was it good for you, though? Like, what, did God speak to you? I, I don't know. I feel like, like this is something that is so, so reasonable in our lives. It's something that, that we could all maybe at some point of our lives... Um, come to grips with and say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But how many of you right now recognize the intensity of this? And you recognize, like, I just got to get to a place where, where I'm just delighting myself finally in the Lord. And delighting myself finally in the Lord. I trust that he'll give me the desires of my heart. But now you recognize that finding the desires of your heart don't necessarily mean the desires of your heart. They mean, it means that this. It means his desires for your heart. And will you be okay when he removes your desires for his desires? Huh? Will you be okay when he removes your desires for his desires? You will if you're delighting yourself in the Lord. You won't if you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. You'll become aggressive. You'll become mean with him. You might won't, maybe you won't come back to him, to us. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he gives you the desires. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all things shall be added to you. Feel free to close your eyes if you want. You don't have to, but feel free to close your eyes. Why do I say close eyes? For no other reason but so you're not distracted. Feel free to evaluate. Measure yourself up there. See where you stand. Listen, the altar is open. Let's sing a song. The altar is open. If you want to come up, the altar is open. I don't, I'm not sure if someone will pray for you or not. Maybe we'll just come alongside you and just come in agreement with what you're believing for. But, but if you want to come up to the altar and maybe that is rep represents you just saying, I'm taking the stand. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Believing that he will give me the desires, his desires for my heart then you're more than welcome to come up to the altar. The altar's open as we sing a song real quick. But for everyone else, come on, evaluate yourself here. Examine yourself. Where are you when it comes to this? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Is he giving you the desires? Is he giving you the desires of your heart? Is, is, it, is it enough is it enough, is it enough already to, that, of you looking at yourself and, and thinking of yourself that you're useless? Come on. Is today the day that that ends, that you're no longer useless? But that you start to recognize I am more useful than I could ever imagine. And my usefulness is found in delighting myself in Him.
There I will find that I am useful and I will be useful unto him. If you need to find usefulness in your life again, come up. If, if today is the day of enough, of uselessness, I invite you up here. If it's all of us, it's all of us. We'll all link arms maybe and pray together. But I want you to take that stand and say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going I'm to have a delight in you and I'm going to find usefulness again. I'm going to find this person that you're calling me to be as I delight myself in you. The key to becoming useful is the place where I find myself delighting in you day in and day out. Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you our living rooms and our bedrooms and our kitchen. We give you the whole temple. Rearrange it. Get rid of what needs to get, be get rid of and pour in what needs to pour in and let us delight in you today. Let there be a shift in our mind in the core of our being. Transform us forever. Let's sing a song and then we'll close up. Sing a song. Let's give this to the Lord and let's ask God to, to do that work. But come on, you have a responsibility within you as you present yourself before him. So work and toil with the responsibility that he's given you. Come on, think yourself differently and find use again before his presence. I encourage you to toil today in prayer, in worship. Let the Lord fill you. Hallelujah.